Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. You're on Saturday Magazine with me, Nevena, and my co-host, Maka. Maka, we have another wonderful guest in the studio who joins us. Okay. Now, this is this is a long title, but it, it actually tells us uh, who Ellen is. So it's Dr. Ellen Reeves, Research Fellow, Monash Gender and Family Violence Prevention Centre at Monash Uni. Welcome, Ellen. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thank but, you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here. We wanted to... There's a new report, which I understand is the first in-depth report into how LGBTQI plus family violence victims and survivors engage with the intervention order systems. So how, you know, when you're a, uh, when family violence is inflicted on you and, you know, there are, there are some provisions, there are some protections or, or some parts of the law that can help protect. So for one of, well, I suppose they're called intervention order systems. First off, why is this the first report in depth? Hasn't this, this issue's been on the radar, and I'm, I'm saying it's great you guys have done it, but it's been on the radar for a very long time. Why is it, you know, taken this long to get the, the first report or the first in-depth report? Yeah, I think one of the problems is that we don't have any real data on how okay. many LGBTQ plus people are using this system. And as we know, you know, the dominant focus has been more on cis het women and their issues with this system because this system doesn't work very effectively for them either. Um, so I think it's sort of there's been this assumption that probably not many LGBTQ plus people are using this system because of the barriers we know exist right. to engaging with the law. Mm. So it just hasn't had that attention in research, which was a clear gap that I noticed and wanted to address in the report. I mean, having, you know, a, a report which, you know, is evidence-based and then, you know, what can happen from that is that, you know, the, the system can be made better, can be made more responsive, become more relevant... Um, were you surprised by what has come out in the report? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah? Um, I think one of the most surprising findings, and my previous research has been on this issue of um, victim survivors being misidentified as perpetrators, and I expected to find that in this cohort, but I didn't expect to find it at the rate that I did. Um, half of our participants had been listed as a respondent, which means that they were identified as a perpetrator. Wow. Um, and it's not a quantitative study, but I think it's a really important prompt for us to do that quantitative work because mm. that is extremely alarming and it far exceeds the rates um, that we estimate mm. since het women are misidentified. Um, so, yeah, that was really concerning and I hope that the report brings some greater light to that in terms of police response and how the courts are dealing with misidentification. 
Ellen, on that, uh, in this report, it highlights how LGBTQ plus victim survivors are facing barriers to accessing safety via the intervention order systems that cisgender heterosexual women face, but also face different and unique microaggressions when they're seeking that safety and protection. What is happening for this to be the case? What did your research Mm. tell you? I think at the heart of that was, you know, some of the cis-normative and heteronormative assumptions that our legal system makes, that, for instance, when they're responding to two gay men, they don't have that usual shortcut of saying, you know, oh, the woman is the victim and the man is the perpetrator. And instead, they're still trying to apply that by saying, you know, perhaps this, this person is more effeminate. And they're still... So in that context we're seeing misidentification play out but it's also a a range of other you know sort of microaggressions things like misgendering and trivializing the abuse um you know it's the title of the report is can't you girls work this out that's something that a police officer said um to two women and we just see that at every single point in the system we see it with policing we see it with mainstream support services and we see it with the courts and magistrates. There was um, another participant when he was in court. The magistrate kept getting him and the other party confused because they were both men. Just that inability to see different types of relationships coming through that system. I mean, I remember oh, quite a while ago, it was when uh, just uh, Ken Lay, who was Victorian Police Commissioner, and when he retired and we were talking to him about another matter and we spoke about LGBTQ plus uh, you know, relationship violence. Mm. And Ken had said that he was actually shocked at the level of it mm. because uh, it hadn't it hadn't come up in their statistics or not in any meaningful way. And there was a complete lack of understanding. And I can understand that, oh, can't you girls work this out? Or, you know, how can, you know, there be domestic violence between two gay men and all this sort of... And... So, and that was quite a while ago. That was like, God, oh, more than that, more than that. But, and I know that, you know, that's something that that Ken is pretty passionate about. But it seems to me we're in a place where the system, uh, where the way the police respond to this within the confines of the policies that they have and also obviously how the officers understand the situation and then how the court system works Mm. and how the individuals in that court system, make this happen. It's going to be a difficult road, isn't it, to make it better because there are so many elements to it that just fixing one of them will make a difference, but then it hits the next one, which is like, oh, yeah, well, we're still doing it this way. Is that a fair summation? Yeah, absolutely. I I totally agree. This is, it is such a broken system for all those who use it and it's actually hard to imagine how we can fix that. And one of the things that did come up in the study was a lot of participants sought help from the law because they didn't know where else to go. They called the police because they thought, who else do you call? And in reality, they wanted an alternative to legal system engagement. They spoke about um, therapeutic alternatives, restorative justice, behavioural change programs. Those are the sort of paths that they want to take. But 
those options aren't readily available, um, especially for LGBTQ plus communities. We have some great organisations here, such as Thorn Harbour Health, who are doing you know that public health and that behavioural change work. But as we know, these services are very under-resourced. Um, so I think we do really need to focus on community-led solutions outside of the legal system because this system isn't getting better anytime soon. And focusing on solutions, uh, what are some of the recommendations mm. that came out of the report? A lot of people will sit with this very difficult information and want to look towards solutions. What Can you step some of those out for us? Yeah, so we made a number of recommendations. Um, a really big one was um, education and training. And that was, we spoke a bit about rainbow tick accreditation and some of the challenges with that in mainstream services where um, not all of our mainstream services do have that accreditation, but there's also this problem of accreditation being the goal rather than improved practice. Mm. Mm. Um, so that was a really <clears throat> big one. We also recommended um, judicial training and a focus for um, the courts on misidentification specifically within the, within the context of LGBTQ plus relationships. Um, I think that there it would be useful to develop some guidelines around that. Um, we also recommended a review into how the intervention order system works because one of the issues that we had it was around private applications. We saw higher rates of private applications amongst this cohort um, than statewide, which means that people are going directly to the courts to apply for an order. Mm. And in those cases, there's no police investigation. It's sort of whether or not that register, that person at the court believes you or not, and that is being used as a weapon. Yeah. Wow. Um, and it's just that shouldn't be how the law works. You shouldn't be able to go down to a court and apply for an intervention order against someone who, in one case, they hadn't spoken to this person for three years. Wow. Um, so those were some of our key recommendations. We've got a, a, a message from a listener here. My sister's been going through a domestic violence dispute for over 18 months. It's still going. The process is slow, painful, and it needs to have more resources so that people can move on. There's not a justice system. There's just a system. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, can I ask, Alan, um, so the report, all the work's been done, you've, you've brought it all together, it's evidence-based. Uh, has it gone to the state government? Has it gone to the Attorney-General or the Minister for Equality or the Police Minister? What's the, what are the next moves to try and get a bit of horsepower under it? Yeah, so, you know, I've got a few different relationships across Victoria with, um, for instance, Victoria Legal Aid, and we've yep. been talking about this. Um, so at the moment, I'm just sort of trying to get the report out there. And I'm, I think that, you know, in the future, as we know, we have lots of domestic, domestic violence inquiries here in Australia. And I really want these findings to be at the forefront of future inquiries to ensure that LGBTQ plus issues and issues with the law are coming up in those reports, because unfortunately, they often don't. I'd encourage you to speak to uh Jacqueline Symes, the Attorney-General, and Harriet Shing, the Equality Minister. I'm not sure who the Police Minister is currently. I should. I should know that you as well. Look okay. at, you, should, you should know that. Um, well, I should too. I think... Anthony Carbines. Anthony Carbines, okay, member out in Heidelberg. Um, I think they, you know, you need to uh, get with them and we're, we're happy to 
help you with that. Put this in front of them and say, hey, guys, and we're not talking about a lot of money here, right? You know, the justice budget, the police budget in Victoria is, mil- is billions and billions. billions of dollars a year, right? A little bit of resource on this uh, will be very helpful in the educative sense but also in the preventative sense. So mm-hmm. uh, I think... There's a lot of work to do, but I, you know, I thank you and your colleagues for doing this. I think it's a great report. Uh, it's pretty heavy. It's <laughs> hard reading, but it's necessary. It's hard reading. reading, and it's really important. And hopefully, we can look back, you know, in a couple of years and say, you know, this was the start of something good. This was the start of some good work. So thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's my pleasure, and and Nevin is as well. Um, you are on Saturday Magazine, Joy 94.9. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.